Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, November 1st. Things are tense on many college campuses right now. Many of you know. It's been this way since the October 7th attack by Hamas. You've either been hearing about this in the news or experiencing it yourself in many places if you're a student or faculty or staff member. Most notable to many is a spike in anti-Semitism, not just political opposition to the actions of the Israeli government. A 21-year-old Cornell student, for example, if you haven't heard this news yet, was arrested yesterday and charged with making online threats. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Syracuse says it, quote, alleges that the student posted threatening messages to the Cornell section of an online discussion site, including posts calling for the deaths of Jewish people and a post that said, going to shoot up 104 West, according to information provided by Cornell University Police and other public information that says 104 West is a Cornell dining hall that caters predominantly to kosher diets and is located next to the Cornell Jewish Center. In another post, says the U.S. attorney, uh, the student allegedly threatened to stab and slit the throat of any Jewish males he sees on campus to rape and throw off a cliff any Jewish females and to behead any Jewish babies. That from the U.S. attorney's office in Syracuse after that 21-year-old engineering student was arrested and charged. Also at Cornell Political reports, a professor called the Hamas attacks exhilarating and energizing. Politico also reports that top donors at the University of Pennsylvania have pulled their financial support over charges that the institution doesn't do enough to fight anti-Semitism on campus. At Columbia, dueling groups of faculty members have now signed different group letters just in the last few days. As the Columbia student newspaper, The Spectator, describes some of this, one letter was titled, An Open Letter from Columbia University and Barnard College Faculty in Defense of Robust Debate about the History and Meaning of the War in Israel-slash-Gaza. That came after a so-called doxing truck was deployed at Columbia, listing the names and faces of students who had signed an October 9th statement that called for advocacy for Palestinian students. The newer letter, in response, condemned the previous faculty letter's attempts to, quote, recontextualize Hamas as a salvo, as the exercise of a right to resist occupation, or as military action. This newer letter says, we are astonished that anyone at Columbia would try to legitimize an organization that shares none of the university's core values of democracy, human rights, or the rule of law. We ask the entire university community to condemn the the Hamas attack unambiguously. So all of that from the Columbia Spectator, dueling faculty letters with feelings of grievances and threats and doxing uh, that various groups felt that they needed to respond to. And it's not just Ivy League or Northeast colleges, as you might sometimes get the impression that it is from some of the media. Politico reports that at Atlantic University in Florida, a march supporting Palestinians resulted in three arrests after a clash broke out between counter-protesters. 
It reports on pro-Palestinian students saying they, too, are being targeted, such as a student at the University of South Florida who said someone on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, had referred to a pro-Palestinian rally there as, quote, target practice. The Washington Post reports on a pro-Palestinian rally near the campus of Tulane University in Orleans that turned violent after what the paper called a melee between competing groups. And we could go on and on. All of this tension leads to competing policy questions as well. Do campuses that have instituted speech codes in recent years to protect various groups of vulnerable or historically marginalized students from harassment that could affect their safety or their ability to succeed at school apply the same standard when it comes to anti-Semitism? Is there a single standard? Where is the actual line between anti-Semitism and policy and moral debates over Israel and acceptable ways to resist? What's the responsibility of university leaders to take positions on these things that might leave one group of students or another, faculty too, feeling disrespected or endangered? And how much should donor pressure matter and how much does it and more? With us to help describe what's happening on campus and help take your calls is Medina Ture, who covers K through 12 and higher education for Politico New York. She's written four articles on campus tensions since October 7th. Medina, thanks for coming on. Welcome to WNYC. Thank you for having me. Medina, your latest article is called Anti-Israel Protests on College Campuses Drive Calls for Increased Safety. Can you describe who's asking for what kind of safety protections? Yeah, so um, as you've pointed out, there has been a rise in anti-Semitism on college campuses recently, Islamophobia as well. Um, You know, Jewish students, Muslim students have been reporting feeling unsafe on campus in the wake of the attack. Um, There's a feeling that, you know, colleges, universities, politicians need to do more to keep students safe. And, um, you know, I think politicians are kind of uh, are starting to put pressure on colleges to kind of do more, to take more action. We saw that with Governor Hochul, who, um, you know, met with the Cornell students um, earlier this week, who rolled out um, a series of steps that she's looking to take to kind of address anti-Semitism on campus. Like uh, she's ordering a review of policies and procedures at CUNY with respect to addressing anti-Semitism. She's trying to give more money for more protections for houses of worship. So there is this this pressure increasingly for uh, universities to uh, address the safety concerns uh, that, um, you know, many, many Jewish students are saying is they're feeling more and more unsafe. And, and Muslim students are also reporting the same. Is it clear what steps um, Governor Hochul is considering uh, to take that New York example? Yeah, I mean, she's spoken about, um, well, first of all, she's spoken about um, holding people accountable for, um, you know, hate hate crimes, hate speech. Um, she's spoken about conducting, a, a, a you know, ordering a review of policies related to addressing anti-Semitism. She's spoken about giving more money to police departments to take on anti-hate crimes efforts. Um, so she... I think she's really trying to kind of ramp up um, efforts around safety on this. You reported on an incident at Cooper Union last week. This has made some headlines, so people may have heard it. But briefly, what happened there and what kinds of safety fears and new safety precautions, if any, uh, did that school take? That's not a state university or a city university, so it's and neither is Cornell, I guess, but um, it's not directly under the purview of the governor. 
Yeah. Um, so basically what happened at Cooper Union was that there was this pro-Palestine rally and um, there was a, a, you know, there was a situation where uh, Jewish students were in a library and, and feeling unsafe and, and feeling uh, uncomfortable with respect to some of the things that were being chanted. I think the NYPD reported after that the, the library room wasn't actually locked, but there was a, a, a feeling amongst those students that, you know, their safety was at risk. Um, and, you know, I think the Cooper Union president was facing some backlash um, in terms of her response. There's there was a sense I think there was a rally with um, the council member, Ina Vernikov, who, um, you know, and, and a bunch of students there were, were saying that they wanted to kind of press charges. And, and, and there was a feeling of unsafety. And Ina Vernikov is not the model of decorum herself, if I'm thinking of the right person. Uh, didn't she yes, yes. get called out for bringing a gun yes, uh, yes. to a pro-Palestinian rally? Yes, yes, I was going to mention that. <laughs> um, and you reported on an anti-Israel protest at Binghamton University, part of SUNY, after a mm -hmm. student declared that Israel is worse than Nazi Germany, after which mm -hmm. Jewish students and faculty signed a letter condemning the institution's response to the rise in anti-Semitism. Do you know what kind of response they were uh, either reacting to as too little or that they want from the Sunni leadership or the Binghamton University uh, leadership per se? Well, I think it's kind of the same across the board. I think they're, they're looking for institutions to hold people uh, accountable for um, uh, whatever um, hate speech or is, is, is being uh, stated on campuses. Um, and I think that there's also been um, some more demands to withhold funding from institutions that, um, uh, you know, receive public funds if they're not doing enough to tackle anti-Semitism. And you report on CUNY, the City University of New York, deploying public safety officers to spaces where Jewish, Muslim, and Arab students gather. Do you know if that's just preventative or if it's in response to something on a CUNY campus? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that um, a lot of CUNY schools have been seeing pro-Palestine rallies, have been seeing um, issues around anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. And so I think the university, um, it, like others, has been talking about sort of the importance of protecting uh, free speech, but also, you know, when that delves into hate speech, like boosting security and things like that. Let's take a phone call. Here's... Josh, who is a SUNY Stony Brook professor. Josh, you're on WNYC. Thank you for calling in. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, hi. So, yeah, I'm a professor at Stony Brook University. Um, I'm Jewish, and I'm calling because I have a lot of concern about what I view as a new McCarthyism. Um, you know, we are watching what I believe to be a genocide happening now against Palestinian people conducted by the Israeli government. I'm not alone in using that um, loaded term. A lot of experts in human rights, human rights organizations, academics who study the history of genocide have used that word. And despite watching the deaths of, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to get emotional, but thousands of children, um, it's just horrible. And, and despite that, we are told that we can't criticize that because somehow that is anti-Semitic. And I'm sorry, as a Jewish person who is descended from Holocaust survivors, I do not agree that Israel gets to commit genocide and escape any criticism. It's not anti-Semitic to criticize 
the Israeli government for what they're doing. It doesn't excuse the anti-Semitism that really is happening on campuses as well. But there is a lot of legitimate critique of, of this Israeli atrocity, Israeli government atrocity, that is not anti-Semitic. So do you feel that you can't say publicly what your critique of the Israeli government activities are that you're characterizing as genocide um, and that that will be mistaken for anti-Semitism when you are clearly stating your opposition to to a policy, which is the current war, the way it's being waged. Yeah, uh, so I speak my mind um, as a person who has deep family history with genocide I will not be silent. I'm also a tenured professor, and I'm Jewish. So although I have received a lot of pushback on social media, for example, my job is not on the line. But I can't tell you how many times people who are untenured and students have messaged me to thank me for speaking out because they are afraid to do so. And many of them say that they can't because either they're Palestinian or because they're Muslim, or because they're Arabic from another part of the Middle East, and because of, of what their name sounds like, they are afraid to criticize Israeli government policies. And, 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 they, they have, and I know of many cases now that we read about in the news of people who have lost their jobs. Um, I was involved in an open letter to push back against the journal eLife, which fired its executive editor or editor-in-chief who is Jewish, who criticized on social media the attacks by Israel. And he lost his job because of explicit calls for his resignation or firing from uh, scientists who disagreed with him. Are you feeling it from the other side as well? I think one of the things that horrifies people, maybe on either side, um, is when there are horrific acts coming from both sides or ones that could be characterized as horrific acts, and the outrage seems to only come in one direction. So you're highlighting what you're highlighting. Um, some yeah. people might say, but October 7th, uh, look Absolutely. at all the horrible things that they did and took videos of themselves doing and displayed and shared proudly and all of that stuff. And Absolutely. I mean, yes. I, I mean, the hostages have to be released the attack by Hamas against innocent Israeli civilians was repugnant. Um, and I feel the same way about the Israeli attacks against innocent civilians. But I will say that I don't think that I, I think that a Jewish baby and a Palestinian baby has equal value to us. They should have equal value to us. But I don't think we can make an equivalency between the, the violence that we saw of Hamas and the violence we see by the Israeli government because the Israeli government violence is so disproportionate, not because they're worse, but because they have more power. It is a modern army, a modern military with high-tech weapons, and they are unleashing the full force of a um, high-tech military against a defenseless, unarmed population of civilians who are trapped in a land area and under siege 
not even receiving food, water, or medicine. One, one so, more question Hamas, for, for you then. Yeah. What's, what's your response, since we've gotten to this policy point, um, to the Israeli government when they say they are not purposely targeting civilians, but they know they're killing civilians in uh, the course of demilitarizing Hamas after what happened on October 7th, because they have a responsibility to their people not to let that kind of thing happen again. And they've give, given people opportunities to flee to the south of Gaza, etc. That that there's really a moral difference there that falls to the Israelis' advantage. What's, what's your argument against that, if you have one? My, my, res- my response to that is that every genocide in the history of humanity has begun with the dehumanization of the targets of that genocide. And the Palestinian people have been dehumanized by rhetoric that has repeatedly and consistently come from the Israeli government, leading to the devaluation of the lives of those civilians. One atrocity does not justify another atrocity. And, you know, it's not helping the hostages either to be bombed with carpet bombing from the air. So, so, you know, my response is, they are destroying the culture and the fabric of, of the Jewish diaspora by behaving in a way that is morally bankrupt. It's not helping us as Jews either to have our culture torn apart by sure. this type of behavior. Josh, thank you very much for calling from Stony Brook University. We have other people connected to other campuses waiting on the line as we talk about the Mideast War. Bedina, I'm curious what you were thinking, probably a lot of things, as you were listening uh, to that last caller from Stony Brook. Is it typical of some of the um, exchanges? And I guess he, he mentioned that he's got tenure, so he feels a little safer than some other faculty members might, but still feels a little bit chilled to say what he was saying. Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, it, it's definitely reminiscent of some of what I've been seeing on the reporting front. Um, you know, I did speak to uh, someone at a, um, a Jewish organization um, at Queensborough College who, you know, spoke about feeling unsafe, about students feeling unsafe and, and, and more than unusual. But I have also heard from, you know, I did also speak with someone from Columbia University's Muslim uh, Student Association who spoke about how um, students in that organization were facing doxing attacks and how they felt like, you know, Columbia wasn't um, doing enough to protect them from Islamophobia. And so there is sort of a tension there where, you know, um, you know, Jewish students are feeling unsafe, Muslim students are feeling unsafe, um, and, and not just in terms of safety, but even in terms of, of free speech. Um, I think that same person was uh, I spoke to was speaking about people at pro-Palestine rallies feeling like they're being treated differently. And so there is sort of a tension there for universities where, you know, and, and, and you're, you start, you're starting to see that also in some of their statements. You know, they, they have spoken about anti-Semitism. They are talking about um, Islamophobia as well. I think there's like this, this consciousness of, of, you know, balancing the, 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 the varying groups and, and, and their, um, their needs. Here's another text. This says, calling in, though they're writing in, as a recent alum of Columbia, there's actually nothing wrong with critiquing the Israeli government. Israelis themselves have been protesting in the streets in protest of Israeli government policies for the past seven months. But let's not confuse this 
with anti-Zionism, which fundamentally denies Israel's very right to exist as a country. Critiquing Israel is not anti-Semitism, but denying its right to exist under any circumstance is denying the Jewish people the right to safety, security, and self-determination. Please make this distinction. Um, So there's that text. And Medina, I wonder if you see people from the rallies who are chanting things like from the river to, to the sea, uh, making that distinction. I was reading one article that was saying that um, from their perspective, this is being me- misinterpreted as, you know, kill all the Jews or run them into the sea or Jews in the, uh, in, in, in what is Israel um, don't have rights to be there or express their politics that, that what they mean by Palestine will be free from the river to the sea really means they want a Western-style democracy there where Palestinians have the same right to vote for the national government as Jewish Israelis do or all Israelis do, uh, that they don't have now, and that that's really what they mean, and it's more benign than kill all the Jews or drive them out. Uh, that's That's obviously a contentious point, a source of debate, but I'm curious if you've seen that come up um, when when Jewish students feel like uh, that that slogan is basically uh, denying their right to exist. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that a lot of the um, students who have been participating in these pro-Palestine rallies have been speaking about how they feel like their you know their um, their chants are being misinterpreted, and as you said, that that that's what they're looking to communicate. But I do think that. There are a lot of Jewish students who have expressed concerns about, um, you know, um, some anti-Semitism, some anti-Semitic chants that that have been a part of those rallies. Um, I think there was an issue in, at Emory University around that as well. And so I do think there there is a tension there in terms of what what is meant by those comments. Well, as I said, we're not going to solve it in this conversation, yeah. uh, but we've been hearing some of the expressions. Uh, interestingly, the Callers tended to be on one side. The texters tended to be on the other side. It just mm-hmm. shook out that way by the randomness of the draw, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. But there you go, folks. Some of what's happening on college campuses right now, as reported by Medina Ture, who covers K-12 through and higher education for Politico New York, and according to some of you on the phones and text messages. Medina, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.